0: Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a VENT music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Mic is someone I came across through Friends of the Pod an Australian-based artists, Breakfast Road. The Breakfast Road boys shared my special guest's latest single, Say Brackets Light Me Up, and I instantly messaged him saying I needed to get him on the pod. Junior, spelled J-N-R, full stop, is also, like The Breakfast Boys, based in Sydney and has been making music since around 2018 to 2019. During the COVID-19 lockdown of 2020, he started learning how to produce for himself and is now venturing out into making more records and doing live shows in Sydney to build his profile. In this episode, we chart his music journey from learning the piano aged eight years old with his grandma to playing in indie rock bands in high school and to making pop music like he is currently today. We discuss the mental toll that comes with being an unsigned artist and having to be a jack-of-all-trades, whilst record labels are signing artists off the back of massive TikTok followings. We also talk about the positives of being in the music industry, particularly the camaraderie that's come from being in the underground music scene in Sydney, how artists within it have helped each other with promoting their music, as well as supporting their live shows, and the benefit that's brought him. For Ben's mental health, we discuss growing up as a mixed race boy in a white dominated school and the impact that had on his identity and self-worth as a teenager and adolescence. We talk about his struggles with anxiety and depression and how he's found therapy to be a positive tool in helping him find himself, accept himself and get to a better place with his mental health today. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the mic with Junior. Ben, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you all the way from Australia. Our off-air chats were absolutely great. We've already had just amazing music chats and music nerd chats. So thank you so much for coming on, bro. The time difference is a little bit of a madness, but we're getting through it. How are you, mate?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Time difference isn't a thing right now. It's, it's all good.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's
1: 10 a.m. right now.
0: lovely stuff man as soon as friends event fellow sydneyers breakfast road shared your latest signal on their socials i literally dm'd Pete and i said i needed to get you on the pod i'm so glad that you've agreed to come on so without further ado are you ready to start the show mate
1: yeah let's do it let's do it
0: Let's start Behind the Mic, as we always do, by talking about your music journey first, mate. So I ask all my special guests on Behind the Mic this question first. Tell me and the listeners how your love affair with music began, who are some of the artists you listened to growing up, what impact did they have, and when did you first start singing or playing instruments? So I started my musical journey, I guess, when I was
1: around eight or something. I'd always see my grandma playing piano... And sometimes i go up and we'd try and learn something together. She was always into the classical pieces. And so I started doing that slowly from there. It became a thing. I don't know when singing came into it. It feels like I always was. Whenever I was playing piano, I would be singing along with whatever song I was listening to. Back then, I was into Top 40 stuff. But then I also really loved like Billy Joel and Elton John. And then after that, as I became a teenager, I was like, listening to a lot of old 90s and 80s rock music and I started to cut ties with the pop music so I was like oh that's not not good enough for me but yeah so singing was always really a part of it I learned how to play guitar and I play in indie bands and rock bands as I was a teenager and in high school and late high school music for me has always kind of been there it's tough to say like when it became my like thing I'm doing it inverted air quotes yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know when it became a thing it just always has been the thing that I do so it just feels like life at this point but yeah I started kind of producing and writing my own songs just after high school like I'd make demos and stuff on Logic and kind of you know mess around and figure out how I wanted to sound. And, you know, that's changed drastically. But yeah, that's kind of how I started making music. Junior kind of happened in this year, in March, but I've been writing music, moving up to junior for the past couple of years, just trying to find my sound and figure it out as I become a better producer because I've been producing for maybe two years. So I'm I'm Mm. still pretty new. As a solo artist, I'm very new. Like I've only released three songs yeah it's it's new territory so i'm still trying to find my sound as a solo artist even though i've been doing this for a pretty long time like music for a very long time Mm. so um yeah it's all it's all a work in progress
0: you mentioned there producing and you mentioned to me off air a very big sink or swim moment shall we say in your early production career or very early production career because i guess you're still early in that sense to me off air which shaped this period just tell the listeners about this and why it was such a formative moment for you
1: Yeah, so this wasn't even in my production career. I was on a, in lockdown, in in the Sydney lockdown, we had this Zoom camp, Zoom writing camp where you get artists, top liners and producers to come on and help write songs while people are all locked away inside, which was really cool. I hopped on as an artist and a top liner just to see what music I can make with other people. And the person who created the camp, James Guido, who's a great producer, he was in one of my sessions, I was the top liner working with one of the artists called Anne. She's also really great. And he said halfway through, he was like, or like at the start of the session, he was like, You you produce, don't don't you? And I was like, Yeah, I do. He was like, Oh, okay. I'm gonna leave this call because I've got some things to do. And so he just <laughs> left the call and left me to produce for this artist I just met over Zoom. And I'd never done anything like this before. I'd produce for myself for like demos that only I would hear. And so I had to, on the fly, produce for an artist who had worked with other people and I had to like impress them. So I think like without that moment, I probably wouldn't have been forced because I was forced to do that. I wouldn't have been a producer. I wouldn't have worked on my production as much because like, I don't know, I was forced to do it. If I didn't do it, if I didn't impress this artist, that was it. You know,
0: what did you learn about yourself during that period in the moment and afterwards?
1: in the moment i learned that i can make shit up pretty easily <laughs> and i can do stuff that um good shit up I, yeah when, when i'm under when i'm under pressure i think i work pretty well and like in the moment it doesn't feel great because you're in your own head and you're it's a very scary thing because like it's not just you know a game this is my career i want to be doing music and if i don't make a good impression on someone that I want to make a good impression on, I can get in my own head about that. But Mm. I don't know. I work pretty well under pressure. I think I need to be under pressure constantly. Otherwise,
0: (laughs) 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 even though it's not the most fun. Let's talk about your Project Junior and your work as an artist in depth now. So firstly, how would you describe your sound for listeners who haven't heard you? And what was the inspiration behind your name? My sound
1: is... The amalgamation of music I listen to, because we've talked about this, I listen to literally everything. My elevator pitch would be I make pop music, but everything is pop music at this point. Mm. I'm like influenced by ambient music. I'm influenced by R&B and hip hop, punk music and like everything I listened to growing up. So like early 60s and 70s, rock, grunge and like heavier stuff that I was listening to when I was a teenager. Everything that I listened to, is kind of what Junior is. And, you know, I think I know that Junior is still figuring out what it's going to be in the future. But right now, it's it's kind of like if you came into my apartment right now and I put my playlist on, you would hear a lot of everything. Mm. And if that a lot of everything was in one song, that would be what Junior is. It's hard to explain, but I make... Pop music with a lot of different influences. Junior, the name has absolutely no interesting story behind it. I <laughs> wanted, to, I wish it did. So many people have asked this because a lot of people look at the J N R dot and they're like, "What, what, what, what does it say?" You, do you made say it cool.
2: It?
1: <laughs> no, it's not. It's literally I was looking for something that looked aesthetic. It just had to look good, and so the way I wrote it the first time was. The J and the R looked like opposites. If you can think about that, the J and the R look like opposites. And then the N, it was all kind of this domey looking type of- Calligraphy? Yeah. Like the way I was right, I just wrote it with a texter on a piece of paper and it just looked really nice the way that I wrote it. That's it. Literally, that's it. It looks cool. <laughs> that's the story. It looks cool. I wish there was a better story, but there's not. I'm the oldest out of my siblings, so I'm not the junior- so. <laughs> There's literally nothing. There's no link. Just look, cool. just look cool.
0: Oh, dear. One question I always ask to every guest on Behind the Mic, Ben, is about the realities of the music industry on artists for the audience who might not know, for your fans, for your friends. Just tell me about your experience here and what you would like to say. Yeah, look, the music industry is a hard career to say, hey, I'm just going to do
1: music because I guess it's a very easy option to be like okay i'm gonna study this very employable job at university get good marks and then do that job afterwards like that's a very easy route to go by i wish like it'd be so great monetarily if my brain worked that way but it doesn't i make music and that's just what i do i don't want to try and do anything else because i'm happy making music that's what i do but The thing about the music industry is it's not a straight path. Every single artist has their own way of getting to where they need to be. And one of the most important things to remember about being an artist and so many young people get caught up in is that you shouldn't expect to be discovered or like, you know, discovered air quotes again, when you're like 16. So Unless you have artists.
0: contacts or an industry plant. Unless
1: you're an industry <laughs> plant or have contacts. Yeah. It wasn't Kanye was like 27 when he released his first album? I think like Laney as well, Paul from that band, he was 27 when they released their first EP. I think Pharrell was like 30 when he started getting his yeah. shit together. Yeah. When like, he started
0: doing the big productions on Drop It Like Assault and stuff like that. Yeah. In his 30s. yeah.
1: Like, of course, don't just slack off in your 20s. But like, you're not going to be a Kid Leroy. That you don't have to be a Kid Laroi and be discovered when you're 16. There's a lot of different ways that you can make a living through music. And I think redefining success in the music industry is a really important thing to do. Not everyone is going to be the Justin Bieber playing stadiums and stuff like that. As massively fun as that may be, and like as you know, as
0: that can be dangerous real- though as well if you're discovered too early. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah
1: okay Justin Bieber might be a bad bad example because that was (laughs) young discovery but um yeah like there's not a straight path there are so many different ways of doing it and being in the music industry doesn't just mean doing your artist project I'm doing junior and that is my absolute passion but I also find a great deal of pleasure in making music with other people and producing for other people top lining for other people that might not be my name on the final product but there's a lot of joy in just making music for me at least i'm very interested in a lot of different aspects of the music industry i'm starting to get into film music as well so yeah there's no straight path that's my short answer no straight path
0: You haven't done too many shows as junior yet, but what I want to ask you now is what does the stage itself provide for you and your mental health?
1: The stage itself, the stage doesn't feel like my home. It never really has. I'm naturally as a person, I'm pretty introverted and I don't get massive amounts of pleasure in like, you know, being the most energetic and most like the biggest personality in the room. That's just not me. And that's cool. Like I, I know that. So on stage, it's it's been a discovery of balancing how I want to make the crowd feel and how I want to make myself feel. Cause I want to be comfortable on stage. And I've noticed that when I'm most comfortable on stage, I'm not thinking about who's there. I'm like not thinking about the people in front of me. I'm thinking more about how I'm connecting with my own music, which is a very similar way as to how I make music. Like when I'm in the studio, I'm connecting to my own music. I'm I'm trying to figure out how I can put my own stamp on my music. I think that's a similar way that I approach live shows is how can I put my own stamp on my songs while I'm performing them live. That might be a different story later down the track. I think like, as I've said, growth is a big thing when you're an artist. So I might have different Ways of connecting to people live. But I think the stage is not the most natural thing at all for me. Mm. But I think I've figured out
0: that's fine for me. Before we move on to industry issues you wanted to talk about, which outlet out of producing, songwriting, singing or playing instruments has the biggest impact on your mental health, Ben?
1: Has the biggest impact on my mental health? (sighs) I don't know. They're all pretty positive until it becomes work like they all play positive roles in my life until it becomes like draining and that's why like I don't want to make music for artists that I don't connect with and we just don't vibe like I can't just do a cash grab and make some money off a song I produce like I don't feel like that's authentic to me and I don't feel good while I'm doing that because if I don't want to make this song if I don't connect to this song then that artist it's going to be beneficial for them to go to a producer who will connect to that song. So I think it's not one specific thing. It's when any one of those things that you mentioned becomes tedious work. That's when it starts weighing on my mental health and I start getting like, "Uh, why am I doing this kind of thing? Because, you know, the industry is kind of like that.
0: You spoke about the industry there. Let's talk about the issues that you want to discuss, positive and negative. So the first one is work-life balance and you're an independent artist, Ben, and you know having to be your own PR, your own social media manager, your own videographer, your own photographer, your own promoter, and just completely DIY it. What impact does that have on your mental health? And I guess conversely, has it, again, like producing forced you to take up these skills and learn them? Being independent is
1: hard, but it's definitely rewarding when things go right and once you're happy with what you're doing. I think this is, as far as the people I've talked to, this is a very communal thing that musicians who are independent have this, like, I want to give up every day. They'll just be like, nah, I'm done. This is too much. This is too much to handle. But then at the end of the day, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. This is what I love to do. (laughs) So, and that very up and down mood swing that you have with your passion and your career can be like really hard to manage day to day especially with your artist project which is like yourself like this is everything you're putting into this if sometimes you feel like oh I can't do this this is just too much I have to make music and I have to make the best music I possibly can because that is what I need to do and then after I do that I have to be my own manager I have to do my own ads. I have to do my own marketing. You're wearing like 10 hats. I'm not a business major. I don't know how to do ads. I learn whatever I can off YouTube and TikTok. I'm not doing this professionally. I'm making it up as I go and hoping it goes well. And honestly, (laughs) yeah, honestly, I think that's what a lot of people do. A lot of artists, yeah, a lot of artists who are their own managers, they're not trained at this. They're just doing it themselves. There's no rule book for how to manage your own music career because there's so many ways to manage your own music career. And you could do one thing that the books say, and it doesn't work. Mm. You could do something that, you know, you could just upload a video onto YouTube or TikTok or anything and it blows up. Like there's no rule book. It's a really tough landscape to navigate. And I think having all those hats is plays on your mental health a lot because you get drained very, mm. very easily.
0: The second issue you wanted to talk about, and it's one that's come up with many of my artists, Ben, is social media, specifically TikTok for you. Now, you said you've seen music industry figures on TikTok, advertising, how to kind of break through on the platform. And um, one common piece of advice you told me that artists are given is to, you know, 100% post three times a day every single day but from my perspective where does that end surely the social media turns into a 24/7 job itself and you stop having the energy to make music
1: yeah i get absolutely exhausted trying to figure out one tiktok <laughs> like <laughs> i'm just not made to do that and no, i sorry, like, bro i've done research on this because like as i said you have to do your research to be able to promote yourself properly. But I think the recommended thing is to do three posts every single day. And so your question was, when does it end? That doesn't end. Every <laughs> single day doesn't end. That is three posts every day for as long as you want a music career or until you can hire someone to do that for yeah. you. That's not, that's not promised. You could be doing it independent for quite a while until someone picks you up as as I said before like these massive artists like Pharrell starts doing his big 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 productions in his 30s there's no age where you like okay I'm gonna get picked up now you could be doing your own social media all by yourself that takes so much time out of the day to actually make the art that you are promoting and at the end of the day I've noticed from from none of the songs I've put out but I've noticed that when I am promoting a song that I put out at the same time, obviously I'm writing new songs. I've found that while I'm promoting the songs, the art suffers. The art just isn't as good because my brain at that time is saying, oh, you know, I'm on this schedule. I need to post this at this time because that's the recommended time and I haven't posted today and you have to post. In the end, like I listen to the songs that I make while I'm in the promotion period. And they're just not as good. Like objectively from the songs that I've, I think that will work for my project and the ones that won't, the ones that won't are usually written in the time that I'm in a single cycle and I'm promoting my songs. Point of that, point of that long tangent is the music definitely suffers when you're just thinking about social media and how to navigate it.
0: Let's talk about positives now, because you were also really keen to talk about the positives that you found in the music industry, Ben. And one big positive and the main positive is the underground scene in Sydney that you're a part of. And it's why we connected. So tell me why this has been such a positive for you. I think on the other side of social media, like
1: the social aspect, when you are literally in a room with someone and you can talk to them and see them as a human being, it's the best thing ever. The people in the Sydney scene that I've met are so great. And they all have their own thing that they're doing, but they're so willing to, if they mess with your music and they mess with you as a person, everyone's there to build each other up. There's been very, very few people who are, you know, have their egos at the forefront, which, you know, sometimes you do see a bit of in the music industry, but from my experience, and this is just my experience, like everyone is just there for the art. They're there for the culture and they're like, okay, they're not only just promoting their stuff, they're like, my friend made this amazing piece of art and you should listen to that. And like, they're pushing everyone up. And I think the Sydney scene at the moment is bubbling.
0: You mentioned there about sometimes the support or the love not always being authentic. And, you know, I can think of scenes where that love or authenticity isn't there and relationships can feel quite transactional you know LA is a famous example that probably London is too in some quarters although I haven't seen it viscerally myself but why is the Sydney scene different and has there been an artist that you know in the scene that has perhaps like you said gone above and beyond to help your career or support you or support your music
1: I feel like it's more just friendship at this point there's like such a small divide between artists that I work with or like artists that will like you know help my career that seems to me as a like a silly thing to think about when those people are also just my friends and like people that are just really good people just to hang out with, not talking about music. Everyone is just friends and everyone everyone's just there to help each other up. Some people. I can think about is there's an artist called Jeva who is amazing. He's always, he's always like just down to write, like not down to write anything for a specific project or if we're going to do it for Junior or for Jeva, his project, like he's just down to write. And there's so many other people like that. There's an artist I haven't really um gotten to work with personally, but He's been super good to coming to gigs and just listening to songs, messaging and stuff like that. His name's Friday. He makes amazing music. It's less about helping someone's career and just about showing up. I think mm-hmm. that's like the most important thing that I'm noticing is just if everyone shows up for each other, that in itself is helping your career. Helping someone's career, it doesn't make sense to me. As a transactional thing, it's just, you know, I mess with you. You mess with me, let's help each other out. I don't need anything in return. Do you mm. want anything in return? No, that's fine. Let's just help each
0: other out. Let's reflect on your music journey then. So going along it as you have so far, what has it taught you about yourself?
1: That's a that's a hard question. But my music is very, very personal. In terms of lyrics and the way I approach my songs, I really hardly write songs that are based in fantasy it's always more like journal entries so music for me is really therapy whenever i feel anxious depressed pissed off at something i just write a song about it this happened literally the other day i got home i was fuming i didn't know what i was fuming about but then i started writing a song and i was like oh that's what is like getting me down today. It's really like therapy because after, after I wrote the song, I finished the entire song that day. I was like, oh, I'm cool now. I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, it's just like therapy. And that's something that I've really found about. Like, it seems so like cheesy and tacky to be like, oh, music is my therapy and my heart. Like, But literally, <laughs> I don't try to write music in order to fix myself. I just write music and by writing about things that are happening in my life, I feel more complete. Whatever holes are in my life that I need to write, because I've only got three songs out at the moment, but all my music isn't very happy. When I'm happy, I would rather bask in that happiness. When I'm upset, when I'm depressed, that's when I write music because I have a hole that I need to fill. And music is always that. And that it's really easy to to fix it. It hasn't always been. It's definitely been a long journey for me to realize. But recently, like I'm in my early to mid, I'm going to say early 20s. I'm, I'm going to stick with early 20s. Yeah, stick with that, mate. Um, <laughs> as an, air quotes again, adult, I've figured out the way that I can make myself a lot happier in my day-to-day life. And that is just to, get my shit out on paper and just like write about it. I'm good. So I've learned that about myself. I've learned that like I should probably journal
0: because that would fix a lot of problems. We've talked about your music journey as junior. Let's go behind the mic and talk about your mental health journey, Ben. So again, I ask all my special guests this question first on this topic, take me back to early life, teenage years, childhood and, Were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Ben we meet here? Early mental health is like really hard because I can't remember
1: myself when I was like a kid. I can't remember what I was thinking of. So I've always had a few different obsessive compulsive things that I would do as a kid. I would always like not know exactly how to be myself, if that makes sense. So a lot of who I was or who I was trying who I was trying to figure out was based on initially like people I saw on TV and like people I would you know, bands that I liked and stuff like that. When I was a kid, this is. And then, you know, as as I started to form people around me that I called my friends, I would start to base my personality and the way that I dressed, the way that I did certain things off them. And, you know, recommendations and things they would tell me, like, I would do that because I didn't really, as a kid, I've just found it really, really hard to choose what to do myself and figure out who Ben was. I didn't know that. That went on to things like what I liked. Like, I didn't really know what I liked. I knew when I did it. When I was doing things, I, kn- I knew that I liked that, but it was hard to equate that to, oh, this is something I should do because I enjoy it. It was just like, when I'm doing it, it was, it was enjoying it or I wasn't enjoying it. But even if someone told me to do something that I, you know they were my friend at the time, and I didn't really like it, I'd still do it. Because it was just like, I don't know, I did, I, it was really hard to figure out what I liked and who I was as a person. I didn't really equate that to mental health. I wasn't really thinking about that. I just thought that was normal. As I like became a teenager, I started to see that the way that other kids were acting or the way that other kids were thinking, sorry, wasn't the way that I was thinking. I was hyper focused on how other people were acting mm. and how I can emulate that because it was really hard to figure out how i wanted to act and that's yeah. still a struggle that i figure out, that, that i work with today like i get very socially anxious because thinking about how the other person is it's not as much trying to figure out how they act and acting like that now it's more how do they perceive me and that's something i'm working on in the early days it was very hard to figure out who i was it still takes a very long time to
0: figure yeah. it out A lot of the issues you spoke about when it comes to identity seem to be wrapped up in your heritage because you're mixed race, the listeners, Ben, your mum is white Australian, I believe, and your dad is Australian, but he's half Sri Lankan, Tamil and half Malaysian. But you went to a school that was white majority, pretty much, by and large. So how did that lack of representation for you affect your mental health and your identity as you navigated school? Because you said to me you felt you were automatically an outcast.
1: Oh, yeah. So also, just quickly, my dad is Tamil, but yep. there's a large-ish Tamil community in Malaysia. And so my dad was born in Malaysia. Okay. Um, so I don't have any Malay blood, but it's Tamil heritage. So, yeah, I went to a all-boys school in the eastern suburbs for high school. And very, very white majority there. And a lot of those white people were rather privileged. (laughs) And immediately, just talking culturally, there was no one with any Tamil. There was no Indians or Malays. I'm trying to think of countries around. There was no people that had any kind of similar heritage to me but that doesn't really matter it's more i felt like an outcast because i was treated a little bit like an outcast you know you'd have you'd have groups in high school which is i still can't understand um that there were like those stupid like popularity cliques in high school but um i would move around different groups of air quotes friends I'm not gonna like count everyone out. There are some really cool people who I went to school with. Still, I don't have contact with them because I never really found my people there. Yeah, I just didn't feel super welcome because everyone was coming from a very different background to me. They were all coming from a very different background to me. And I did get bullied quite a little bit because of my race, which I honestly didn't know it was bullying because I just thought that was normal. I talk to my partner about this all the time when like there's microaggressions that I receive like now and I can't even notice it anymore. And she notices it and she's like, did you hear what they said? I'm like, cause it's kind of like numb to me. Cause I, I didn't really know what racism was. I didn't really know how to react when someone was showing microaggressions or doing something that wasn't quite right. I didn't know how to react. And I think that also comes with that lack of identity. I wasn't really sure, you know, because I didn't have anyone else that was coming from the same background as me in high school, in early high school, I, yeah, I didn't really know how to react because, you know, as I said before, I was basing a lot of my personality off other people. So if other people aren't experiencing the same thing that I am and no one really was then I wasn't sure how to react to that. Mm. Um, It was very new, very strange.
0: When did you realize that not being the same as them was actually a positive for you? When I found my people.
1: (laughs) Um, I met two of my best friends who are still my best friends now. Mind you, they're both white. But (laughs) I felt included like I'd never been included before. So I think that was the main difference. And like... Once, you know, I, late high school, I met more people that came from similar backgrounds to me because when you're at one all boys' school where everyone lives in the same kind of area and everyone has like a, most people have a very similar background, it's like very restricting. But once the late high school, I started meeting other people outside of my area code and I started meeting more people that came from diverse backgrounds. I started seeing a little bit more of myself in other people. I don't know what that even means, but I I started seeing myself in other people. I started feeling a lot more seen, which is a really weird thing to happen later on in life because I'd never really felt seen when I was in high school. And then when you're an adult, you're like, oh, okay. There are more people who are in a similar, and I'd have conversations with these people who also went to all white single sex schools and they would say the same thing they would have pretty much the exact same reaction as me when they were in high school
0: and like you know dealing with racism and stuff like that going back to music if we can just for a second Mm. how was the lack of representation you had in school and your feeling towards that mirrored in your feeling towards your early music career and the aspirations that you had or the ambitions that you had it goes hand in hand part of having an identity at that school was
1: being good at sports and I was not good at sports. I, I think I, I was okay at hundred meter sprint because I'm tall and lanky and fast, um, but that's all I wasn't good at sports. I was into music. I was always into music from like the second I went to high school. And so the music curriculum there, that wasn't cool. It wasn't cool to be a musician in high school. It wasn't cool to like, I was in the choir because that was the only thing they had for singers. They didn't really have a band program. So I was in the choir. That was not cool. It's not cool (laughs) to be in the choir at an all boys school. It's yeah, it's not. So there was always this like, you know, when you're at Christmas and you get that uncle that's like, oh, how's the music thing going? That was kind of my day-to-day thing. Everyone's like, oh, so like, how's the music thing going? And you try to explain to them how the music, you get really passionate about it, but they're like, oh, okay, cool. That's that's great. Let me know when that dies out. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the feeling I had (laughs) when saying I was interested in music in high school. Like everyone didn't get it. No one really understood like why I was keen on that.
0: Towards the end of high school, the racism you were experiencing, the bullying, it all kind of came to a head with the mental health difficulties and you began experiencing anxiety and depression. You described it as a downward spiral. So who's the Ben we meet at this point?
1: Not a fun one. Yeah, I was just kind of angry all the time and not really knowing why I was angry. I would do shitty things to my friends and just like not care about their feelings and stuff i just like i wasn't fun i wasn't very fun and yeah it wasn't a great time then and i wasn't really sure why i was feeling that way i just knew i was feeling that way yeah it wasn't the best band.
0: how did music help you out of that period then how did it help you channel the anxiety and depression because you spoke earlier about music being a cliche a therapy tool for you so how did it help you in that period honestly it took a while for music to become a therapy then music was just a thing i
1: did not a thing i did but it just felt like life you know like i was i've always been doing it so it didn't feel like any different like i would write songs about how i was feeling but it wouldn't make me feel any better because i wasn't fixing how i was feeling i think i missed something when i was talking about it before well when i was talking about music as therapy now when i write songs now about things that have a hole and I need to, there's something wrong. I need to write a song about it. I notice what is wrong when I write the song. And then after I write the song, I fix it. I try, I notice what I'm upset about and I pinpoint it. I try and get my head straight. Back then I didn't really know what was wrong. It was really an identity crisis cause I didn't know who I was. And because I didn't know who I was and I was getting into that late era, I was probably 18, 19 when that happened. And I was like, you know, you're done with school now. You should probably know who you are and what you want to do with your life. And I was like, I know what I want to do with my life, but I don't know how to do that. And I don't know who I am. So that was a really hard thing to figure out, like not knowing who you are when you're a legal adult and you are supposed to be, you know, starting your uni course and getting into the areas that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life and figuring out what you the rest of your life is not knowing who you are is a very hard place to be. And it was honestly scary that I think that's why I was in that downward spiral because I was scared because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to fix it. I was so down at that point that I didn't have the energy to fix it. I'm drawing a spiral on my finger right now. <laughs>
0: For the listeners, um, yeah. I didn't know how to get back up. Let's talk about who you've become now and who you are now because you've accessed professional help in order to find that out. You've accessed therapy in the last mm. few months. So tell me first why you wanted to seek it out and if it's been helpful And if it has, how has it been helpful?
1: So I started going to therapy in probably very late high school, like 18, 19. As well as all the things I've talked about, I find it very hard to open up about things that I'm feeling with people that, with anyone really, you have to be a very, very special person for me to like tell you I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't feel comfortable even telling my parents how I was feeling at that time. And so I literally, I, I told you this, I told you this over the phone, but I literally texted my mom. I sent her a link to a website. I was doing my own research and I was like, I've like self-diagnosed myself. It was like WebMD or something. I've like, <laughs> And I sent her a link to this website with no context at all. I was in the kitchen. She was like right next to me. I sent her a link to this website and we then had a talk after that. And I told her exactly how I was feeling. We found... A therapist that really worked for me for quite a while. It was mainly, we were doing things that were, and you told me what this was called. I forget what it was called. CBT, uh,
0: Cognitive Behavioral Therapy.
1: Yeah, CBT, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) She was basically giving me like exercises and quote unquote homework after a session. I said this before, but like my clothes at that point, I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know what I wanted to wear. It's a very small thing. But that was what we started with. We started with really small things when I first started going to therapy. Then we started going bigger. So she would say one day this week, choose what you want to wear. Look at your wardrobe and choose what you want to wear. And like, that's just one example. And I remember that because that was the first thing we did. That was the first homework I had. But over time, the homework would be less literal, like literally do this. It would be more just like, Be more mindful about the way that you approach conversations because I'd be very in my head whenever I'd talk to someone new or anyone really because I was so invested in how they were acting and how I should be acting, how I should be perceived and how they're perceiving me. It was really just like trying to get me to be more in the moment and be more myself. And that was my homework for a few years every week I'd have a different thing I have to do. And eventually I also went on antidepressants. I was on fluoxetine for quite a while and that helped so much. Like, honestly, the therapy was actually really great and it worked, but there were always ups and downs when that was happening. It was always ups and downs. And like when I would be in a downward spiral, it would be a lot harder for me to get back up. Even though I would get back up a lot of the time, it was hard for me to get back up. But she recommended, you're going to get pissed at me. I always forget get them wrong. Psych- Psychiatrists, psychologists, which one's the one that's
0: prescribed? Yeah, they're interchangeable terms. You can use counselor or psychiatrist, psychologist. Yeah, a lot of the time they can be interchangeable terms, to be honest, mate. But the one that can prescribe... Oh, like a doctor or a GP?
1: No, I went to a, it was Like w- a chemist? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It was a doctor, I guess. Anyway... Besides the point. She referred me to someone. I was on fluoxetine for a bit, and that helped massively. The main thing I learned when I was talking to this person before I was going to go on antidepressants was they were saying the whole point of being on this is so you can be off it. It's teaching you how I, – I, teaching is a weird word. I don't know how to describe it. It's like how to – You're gonna be on it to balance this chemical imbalance that's happening in your brain. And then eventually what I started doing was we started lowering the dosage very, very slowly. But it was so slow that I didn't, once I was on a very small amount to nothing, I didn't feel bad anymore. There was the therapy as well teaching me these lessons, but I knew how to control how I was feeling. And I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's how I felt.
0: Do you think you found yourself now or not yet?
1: I think that's a loaded question. I, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna find myself because, like, it's just like chasing a tail. I'm gonna think I found mm. myself, and then I'm gonna find something new that I don't yeah. know about. Myself.
0: That's why I asked you it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> life, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What I about know. being yourself? Do you feel like you can be yourself now? Hundred percent. Okay, yeah. Okay, not
1: a hundred percent, but I definitely feel like I'm way more comfortable being me. And that doesn't mean that there's times when I get in my head and I get worried about how people are perceiving me because I've kind of accepted that that's always going to be a thing, at least to some degree, because it's very hard to shake it if that's just the way I'm wired. But I was actually talking to my friend just before this. I feel the most comfortable in myself than I've ever been in my whole life, which is great. I feel like I can talk to someone and this is like a super small thing, but it's big for me. I can talk to someone and not be anxious about the next words that I'm going to say. The next words is going to come out of my mouth and like embarrassing myself. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes like I leave a conversation. I'm like, bro, what did you just say? (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) happens, bro. But it's a bit more, I don't know. I get really, really uh, anxious, There's another word I get really, really anxious about how I'm perceived. And when I think that I was perceived in a way that I didn't want to be, I like downward spiral again. Mm. But to answer your question, that downward spiral is nowhere near as deep. I am able to pick myself up a lot better and very less regular Mm. that that happens. It's a lot, lot more of me being me now, which is great.
0: Let's reflect on your mental health journey then. So A, what has it taught you about yourself? And B, if you could go back and talk to the teenage Ben who was feeling excluded, who was feeling like an outcast during his secondary school days, perhaps the Ben in the grips of the anxiety and depression, or the Ben who was figuring out who he was in therapy, what would you say to him knowing what you do now?
1: It's a really tough question. Um... <laughs> So honestly, it, I would just tell him to just keep working at it. The hardest parts of the depression that I was going through were not nearly as bad as I see them now. When I look back at that time, what I was worried about and what I was anxious about, and what was literally the worst thing that was happening in my life was totally fixable was like very much like in my head. And I'm not saying that to diminish how I was feeling, but I'm saying that a lot of how I was feeling was based on how I grew up and just how I was as a kid. There's nothing that can really change how you're wired. And so, yeah, just keep working at it because it's not as bad as it was and it's going to get better
0: we've come to our final topic of conversation ben and it's one i try and have with all of my special guests if we have time it's a general natter and a chat about our mental health so firstly bro how is your mental health
1: right now it's very manageable there's always your off days and like sometimes i'll wake up and just don't feel like doing anything which is really hard when you are your own boss and you need to do something every day. <laughs> but as I said before, those days are few and far between. And when they do come, it's a lot more manageable. I live with my partner and she helps me out a lot whenever I'm feeling like that. And yeah, it's, it's very good. It's a lot better than it was. Excellent.
0: What age do you think you were when you first became self-aware of your mental health and you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health?
1: I think I would have been maybe 13. It was around like as I was finishing primary school to when I was starting high school. As I said, I'd always noticed that what I was doing, like I was very aware of the fact that I was mirroring myself off other people and my self-image wasn't really myself. But I didn't see that as a bad thing. Not a bad thing. I just didn't see see that as abnormal until high school and I started seeing, I think, yeah, high school, high school, Mm. early high school.
0: What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So for example, it could be things people say to you. It could be being in a particular social environment, a sound, a sensation, or have you not figured all of them out yet?
1: Yeah, I haven't figured it all out yet. Sometimes there'll be something that triggers me and sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes I just wake up and I'm just feeling like trash. And like, maybe that's due to stress. Maybe that's due to external things that are happening in my life. Something that I definitely know is a trigger for me and something that I, it's not as much a trigger because I want to work on it. I want to get better in these situations is when I'm, in a social situation with people that I know, but I don't really know that well. That is the hardest thing for me. It's near impossible for me to go into that kind of situation completely clear-minded and ready to go. It's people that I know, but a little bit distanced from. It's that whole thing we're talking about. I want to make that good impression. I want to be perceived well, but... It's really hard for me in that situation and I always mm. get it, always.
0: Conversely then, what positive tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that's worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't?
1: Exercise works. I've only recently started exercising because I have a high metabolism and I will be skinny for the rest of my life. I've seen Bastard. My <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> but exercise works. It's like... People told me I didn't want to do it, but then I did it and it worked. <laughs> yeah. That obviously music, as I said before, that's more of a direct one. When I'm writing about something that I know I'm writing about, or maybe I'll start writing something and then figure out that's why I'm writing about it. I've therapized myself <laughs> and I figure out what is going on in my head and I find a solution somewhere there somewhere along the way or i don't have to find a solution i find i just notice it's there and noticing it's there is like very important to me as as important as finding a solution
0: what has been the best book or as i call it mental health bible you've read for your mental health now it can be mental health or self-help related but it doesn't exclusively have to be it could be fiction could be also if you can't think of a book film play podcast whatever could i say an album a hundred percent
1: yeah okay i couldn't think of a book but there's one album by a band called gang of youths who are an australian band who actually now live in london and they live in england their second album go farther in lightness is absolutely beautiful and that album came out around the time that i was in the depths of my like downward spiral and helped me out a ton. Actually, I'll tell a quick story if that's okay. I'm one of my best friends while I was in this downward spiral. And I really appreciate him for not like saying, hey, I wanna come over to help you. I was kind of like alone in my room for most of the time. And he was just like, hey, I wanna come over and just listen to an album with you. And he had the vinyl, he had the record. He brought over the record and it wasn't that second album it was the first album, but equally as as important. And like it honestly, like listening to that with him and just being like with my best friend in a dark time and the album dives into Dave, the singer's depression, his struggle with suicide and suicide, his suicidal thoughts and depression. It goes very deep, those two albums. And honestly, it just, once again, it helped a lot to be seen and like hear another person's story on, record and being able to like hear that feel is not just me obviously i knew Mm. it wasn't just me but like you know seeing hearing it becomes more tangible
0: amazing man i've got two questions left so the first one is if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health what would it be and why make mistakes (laughs) and be
1: okay with that I've got a tattoo, the first tattoo I ever got was, I'll show you, it's a circle on the back of my arm.
0: Yeah. So for not, listeners, it's just a circle, yeah?
1: It's just a circle, but if you can see on the bottom, it's mm-hmm. not complete. It's just like the two Oh, there's a
0: gap the, that's not connecting the circle. It's so it's like when the halo ring gets blown up in halo and there's like a big chunk <laughs> of it missing. <laughs> Honestly, that's my favorite tattoo that I have because I got it
1: so it could be a mistake and I would have a mistake on my body forever and I have to be okay with that I just have to be okay with the fact that things aren't perfect and
0: if you can see behind me the listeners will know I've pointed this out a few times in my room there's a there's a swimming Mac Miller's album and the quote above it is a song from I think Best Day Ever from that mixtape and it says if you didn't make mistakes you wouldn't get far and that's on my so I'm a similar vibe to you bro I respect that I've got one question left, so it's a broad one. What more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable, feel safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health, if most importantly, they want to do it? Honestly, more things like this. I think
1: seeing in media, like seeing TV shows, if you're watching a TV show and two men are talking openly about their mental health, I find that so incredibly powerful. And I think more people in music, podcasts like this, TV shows, whenever we're seeing two men talk about their mental health and just how they're feeling in general, it doesn't have to be negative mental health, but like most of the time when you're watching TV and two men are speaking, it's not about anything deep that's a big thing in like popular culture. It's really not cool or not sexy for guys to talk about their feelings. It's cool and sexy for them to talk about being a man. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, I I just think more um, outlets. Yeah. Yeah. More outlets. I just need to see more of it. The more people that are seeing men talk about their mental health, the more likely that those people seeing it are going to be cool to talk about their mental health to their guy friends or Excellent. just anyone like men talking yeah. to anyone about, yeah. about yeah. their mental health. Like seriously, I couldn't open up to my mom. That is so shocking to me now, like how close we are, me and my mom, but I didn't feel comfortable. I just thought it was wrong to talk about
0: that. Well, now you don't. And on that note, <laughs> junior ben thank you so much for coming on behind the mic and checking in with me and talking to me mate thank you for having me appreciate it it's been fun well that's all we've got time for in this episode of behind the mic i want to say a big thank you to ben aka junior for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the mic with him the track that i discovered ben through and i mentioned in the intro say brackets light me up will play us out and I'll put all of Junior's streaming and social media links in the show notes as always. Thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. I'll sign us off by saying, remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, you can write us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a five-star review. You can support our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. If you don't want to do that, you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. Or you can buy a Vent Tee. Both of those links are on our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember guys, it is always okay to vent.
1: I've been on the side for far too long. I know
2: it's not forever, but this ain't getting better. Why's it gotta be complicated? Don't wanna be tolerated. I wanna be sure of the
1: world now myself am I so jaded should have been the first that you told but I'm left here in the top
2: would you like me?